Welcome to another episode of Chapter Chat. This is our online book club. Club. Uh, my name is Carrie Ebert, and I will be joined here shortly by my boy. I cannot talk. I'll be joined here shortly by my good friend Mike from At Grow Now Therapy, and we are actually starting a new book tonight. So we are very excited. Uh, so let me go ahead and see if Mike is on here. Let's see here. Here we have, oh, there we go. There's Mike. All right. <clears throat> okay. Hello, Linda. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing uh, fantastic. Here we are. Monday. There's Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? You know, you know, we're just not going to talk about football. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not yep. discussing sports. I haven't turned the TV on because I don't want to hear about it. So um, it's been a stressful weekend, but it's Monday and we like Mondays. And um, here in Kansas City, we are uh, in the in the midst of preparing for a major winter storm. We don't get a lot of snow here in Kansas City. So we're expecting anywhere from six to 14 inches, which is like a really big deal here. So it'll shut our city down. So um um, there's no bread left on the shelves at the grocery store. There's no milk. You know, I mean, this wow. is just how we roll here. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm actually headed to Mississippi for a big training at a university there. And I was supposed to leave Wednesday um, because I'm driving. And so I'm going to leave tomorrow because I'm going to try to get ahead of this big storm. So that's the exciting thing in my life right now is weather. Yeah, it, it snowed a lot here, too. So it snowed on Saturday, I think. And now it's mm -hmm. at the point now where like a bunch of cars are snowed in. It's it, it gets it gets, <laughs> it gets so old, yeah. it gets so ugly in the city. There's the dirty, ugly yep. snow. Yep. And of course, I live on one of those side streets where that never gets plowed. Yep. Uh, yep. But it was nice. It was nice to get uh, get the get my daughter outside and see snow for the first time. Oh, and it's so she, fun. She, she liked she liked watching it fall, but when you put her on the ground on it, she was not very happy. She's like, uh, uh, uh. -uh. Yep, what nope, about you, Linda? Nope. Do you have snow where you are right yeah, now? Yeah, we had a Norwegian. Oh, lizard-ish this weekend on Saturday, maybe about two feet of snow, I would say. Oh, oh good. So. I'm serious. <laughs> like, if we got two feet of snow in Kansas City, I'm not even kidding you. We wouldn't have school for like a month. Like, yeah. I mean, they do not. Yeah. Anyways, let's move on. So we are super excited. Last week, we finished the Declarative Language Handbook, and we are so honored to have the author, uh, Linda Murphy, who is a speech language pathologist. And so we spent how many weeks? I don't even know. Eight weeks. I don't even know. Six, eight weeks on the declarative yeah. language handbook. Mm -hmm. And tonight we're starting book number five of our book Yay. club chapter chat. <laughs> when did we start this, Mike? I think July of 21. 20. I think so. I don't we, even know now. I'm like, we how? dug right in and here's all the books right here. Here's yep. my, ch my chapter chat stack of books. Yep. It's pretty uh, exciting. And it's been great, you know, doing these, uh, these two books now from the great author, Linda Murphy. It's been, uh, <laughs> it's been amazing. It's been, it, it's been uh, a real change from how we started. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the first three books were some real passionate discussions about some huge problems going on. In and education, now, yes. Yeah, and now mm -hmm. going through this, I, you know, I'm, I'm hearing back from, I'm, I'm getting messages from everyone, you know, at, at 9 p.m. every Monday. Uh, <laughs> as, as soon as we wrap up, I get lots of messages of everyone who's just finding this so helpful. And uh, a lot of the families Good. I work with are giving me examples of them using declarative language. Oh, and nice. I, I, I told you one mom, like, pulled it out of her purse to show me she bought the book. <laughs> 
uh, and it's just it, it, it's just it's just so nice. Oh, look, our friend Kelly Knight is back. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So so it's uh it, it, this is this has been great. And this uh, this book I read a long time ago, mm-hmm. uh, and and I've, I've had it with me. But this is my first time reading this book. So this is uh this is oh, really okay. exciting. And this mm-hmm. uh this co and uh, Linda sent me a great text yesterday. I believe that was <laughs> yeah. of uh of sending me an example of varied experiences. Oh, okay. so it was a it was a picture of your husband and your son, right? Yep. Yep. Shuffling. So she sent me a, she, she sent me a picture a picture of her husband and her son shoveling, and yeah. she said and she wrote about how her emphasis now on varied experiences has really helped things in her See? relationship with her family yeah. and helping her. And, you know, that's really at the core of what co-regulation is. It's right. using, using relationships to allow people to regulate. As the adult, we're regulated through boring tasks because we're, fu- <laughs> we're, we're fully mm-hmm. developed. But with co-regulation, we can regulate our young ones to do really boring, hard things. <laughs> meaningful. Well, yes, meaningful. meaningful. And that's the thing. Meaningful. Those, yeah. those what may be considered non-preferred, if you will, activities, that's right. they become yeah. preferred because it's not about, and that's what I think I love, and we'll start kind of at the beginning here, but um, so you can tell us a little bit, Linda, about, about why you wrote the book. I like your kind of introduction and your explanation, but I just think this whole idea of, uh, I love so much, maybe it was in chapter two, and we'll get there, but you talked about it's not really about the end result. It's not really about the product of, you know, well, what did we do? Oh, we shoveled the, the drive so now we can drive on it and won't get our shoes wet. It's the whole idea of it's the process, right? Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I just love that a lot. So Linda, tell us yeah. a little bit why after you wrote the declarative language handbook, why did you write the co-regulation handbook? Yeah. And actually, can I just go back for one second to yeah. add to what Mike had said? Um, so with the shoveling, like I have always thought about that as co-regulation, co-regulatory yeah. patterns, but Mike, I like your varied experiences because I have boys who love their screen time. And so it just helps me push through like they need this and it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And I know they're going to protest, but it's all right. We'll get on the other side of it. So it's just Mm -hmm. one more tool and phrase in my back pocket to help me push through the hard, you know, just when kids push back a little bit. So absolutely. Because once they figure out that it's fun, that it's about the interaction (laughs) again, it's not like so dreaded. It's more like, Oh, now I'm having this, co-regulation time with dad you know that otherwise I wouldn't have had so yeah so it's even just the movement the fresh air just getting on the other side of that hump Mm -hmm. like makes Mm -hmm. all the difference so and and, and also also the way mm -hmm. that you put it in the text Linda I think it was it was so powerful (laughs) for parents because you said your varied experiences emphasis gives me strength to keep pushing through the protests Ah. And that's and that's that's exactly what it is, mm-hmm. is, you know, we're we have the future thinking skills to see how positive these varied experiences are for them. And these protests are so normal and so natural. And of okay. course, they're going to be heightened with ADHD or executive functioning delays. But it's really these varied experiences and pushing through and building resiliency through non-preferred tasks that gives us the skill. You know, th- th- there's that famous quote of, no one ever learned anything inside of their comfort zone or no growth right, comes right, from inside the comfort right. zone. And that's exactly what it is, is we're teaching our kids to be, to be strong in the face of discomfort. And resilient. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think just um, the idea of, Oh, I hate when I have a thought and then it goes, you guys, it's been a long day. I don't know what I was going to say. Um, oh, I know <laughs> what it was. Seriously. Um, uh, 
the, the idea that human beings will always take the path of least resistance. Of and course. the path of least resistance for us is to do um, easy tasks, things that are that don't require us to get up and change, you know, transitions, um, having to, to shift activities. That's too much work. It's too much effort. So if I'm already playing a video game and mom says, why don't you go shovel, you know, the, the driveway, that whole idea of, well, that's not the path of least resistance. The path of least resistance, which all humans prefer, is I'd like to just stay here indoors where it's warm in my, you know, jammy pants and continue to watch Netflix or play video games. So that's why it's so important <laughs> that we talk about varied experiences and getting outside that comfort zone. Because for most of us, once we get there, we're fine. It's the yep. act of transitioning. Mm -hmm. It's the act yep. of making the conscious choice to not take the path of least resistance, right? So once once I go out for a walk in my neighborhood, I'm always happy. But getting myself to put on my tennis shoes and actually get out there, I have 400 other things I could do, so I make excuses, right? So it's too difficult to make that shift. And so I think that's a, a big piece of it is, um, and, you know, and some, comfort and sometimes it's And sometimes it's environmental. You know, you're, you have a teenager who's in his room. My mom said to go take the garbage out, but my phone is right there and my Xbox is right there. So I'm not playing a game yet. I'm not on my phone yet, but everything is right there in front of me. Mm -hmm. She wants me to go do something that's literally going to take two minutes, but it's boring and there's no mm -hmm. instant gratification. Mm -hmm. My phone is right there and I can get lost in that. My game is right there. I can get lost in that. But mm -hmm. that's why this is where co-regulation comes in and also having structure in the home around these preferred versus non-preferreds. Yeah, and maybe I can hop in here, Carrie, and yes, please do. Back, go back to your your question before. So basically, um, you know, I wrote declarative language first because I know our speaking style is so important, but it also is not enough sometimes. Like you might make that declarative statement, and then the child doesn't do the next thing that you're hoping that they could do. And I think sometimes um, it might be like Mike is saying, it's because it's something that they don't want to do or don't feel comfortable doing. But a lot of the time, especially um, just for kids with social learning differences, it's because they don't feel competent or uh -huh. they don't know how to get into that next thing in a way that feels competent and successful to them. So that is where I always partner declarative language with co-regulation. So I'm always thinking about those two things together. I'm going to use my language to invite and guide. But when the child just needs a little bit more um, scaffolding, that's where I bring in co-regulation. And really, I'm always using them continuously back and forth. So even if I go back to just the boys shoveling the snow, like I could say it's really important that you help your father shovel. But then I can't just throw them out in the snow unless I, am I can ensure that they have a competent role that they'll be successful in once they get there. So that's where co-regulation is. You know, that's really interesting because so my 17-year-old son, Aaron, is autistic. And that's one of the things like we think about, okay, it's going to snow this week and we don't get a lot of snow here. And so I said to Aaron, um, I'll be out of town, but I hope you'll be able to help your dad shovel because <laughs> 12 inches of snow is a lot of snow. And Aaron said, I don't think I have any boots. And I said, actually, you do. You just didn't wear them last year because Cognitive we didn't have any snow. Yeah, huh? Did you hear that? <laughs> oh, you're right. I don't think, literally, we said, I don't think mm -hmm. I have any boots. And I said, actually, you do. They're in the garage. And so my whole thought is, 
with me not here, if, you know, Jim and Aaron go out and shovel, Aaron doesn't, I don't know that he knows how to shovel. Like when you say, one would assume a 17 year old would know how to shovel, but that mm -hmm. would require past experience in shoveling. We just don't get hardly, we get ice here, but we just don't get much yeah. snow. And so that whole idea of if I just sent him out there and said, go shovel, I, especially 12 inches of snow, which is going to be heavy, you know, if it's wet. So I just think mm -hmm. about how he would probably come in and be very frustrated because I don't think he would be set up for success. So I, right. I love this idea of giving yeah. him a competent role, way, right? A way mm -hmm. to be, have a meaningful role and scaffolding him through it so that it's successful instead of just saying, go shovel. And then when he doesn't do it or only does a small section, then, you know, he, we get upset because he didn't do what we asked. Yeah. And I always think like things might appear non-preferred, but it really might be that that child doesn't yet have the experience, doesn't yet feel competent in that. Like there's lots of roles I'm not competent in and they're also, uh -huh. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Like I'm not going to talk about football because I know I'm not competent <laughs> or, um, you know, like use the snowblower. Like I'm not competent right. in that. So it's not a role that I'm going to assume no matter how many declarative statements people use. Oh, I see what so, you're saying. Um, Something I jotted down. Yeah when you were talking is I, I jotted down, nobody likes to fail. And I think mm -hmm. that's a really important thing to remember is that I, I, part of what I got out of reading these first two chapters is we want to help kids experience success because nobody likes to fail. And so by mm -hmm. giving them a competent role in a, an activity that we may assume, I love that we may assume it's non-preferred, but it may just be that they don't have any confidence with it. So it's certainly not mm -hmm. preferred, but it may not actually be non-preferred. It's just not ever thought about. It is just a, right. a non-existent um, activity in their life because they don't have the competence to even consider it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And sometimes too, you know, perhaps they have prior experience, but for whatever reason at that moment in time, they don't feel competent. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're tired. Maybe they're hungry. You know, maybe something happened at school that caused anxiety and it's affecting or impacting what they can bring, you know, at that moment in time mm -hmm. to the interaction. Mm -hmm. So it's always knowing you if you can go back to that competence and figure out where that competent is for this moment in time. Um, kids are way more likely to join and stay engaged um, because you've invited them at a place where they don't feel scared. They feel mm -hmm. safe. They feel competent. They know they can do it. And then once they get that beginning competence under their belt, they hang in there. Yeah. And that's when you can, you know, I know we'll get into all that, but that's yeah. when you can expand and grow and vary, um, add complexity, yeah. you know, all those good things. Yeah. And, and but, we talk about varied experiences, but it's also new experiences, also novelty. Mm -hmm. You know, these are the things that are new to them and new is scary when you have social right. learning challenges, when you have executive functioning challenges, because trying, putting through effort has the ability to unmask your flaws. There's going yeah. to be there's going to be a learning curve, and young kids with social learning challenges, executive functioning delays, don't like learning curves. They want to be good at something the first time they try. You know, due to the executive functioning challenges and due to this instant gratification world we have. These are all you know. There's it, you're setting long term goals, having to try new things is really hard. And I love how you always refer back to your uh, experience doing RDI. Because using positive, because it's varied experiences, but it's also interpersonal relationships. Mm -hmm. And when you have that relationship that allows for co-regulation, it's a heck of a lot easier to try something that's new. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Two things that I've always said about my son is if you ask me to describe him in one sentence, it would be my son doesn't do new. 
And the reason for that, it took me a long time to be able to put this into words, is that there is safety in the familiar. And I think that's so important for kids with um, social learning differences is that doing new things which is what learning is. That is exactly what learning is, is we're asking you to do something new, to fail at it, to analyze what went wrong, and then change so that you can do it, you know, uh, with more success next time. So if you don't do new, um, and there's safety in the familiar, uh, you're not really interested in varied or new experiences, especially the new experiences. So yeah, Mm -hmm. this is, this is powerful. Well, Um, he, he did, he did try cake though. He did try cake and uh, because I use declarative language. If I would have said, you here, why don't you try this cake? I'm pretty sure he would have said, no, I don't like cake. Mm-hmm. But anyways, we've already been down the declarative language uh, talk. So Linda, I have to tell you on page four, it is, I think, my most favorite statement so far that I've read in this book. Declarative language is a way of speaking and mm-hmm. co-regulation is a way of being. I was like... That just spoke to me so much because we spent so much time talking about declarative language and now we're talking about, you know, this way of being. So this is how we talk to our children and this is how we, you know, are, how we act around our children. Mm -hmm. So um, tell us a little bit. So like on page four, I mean, I highlighted quite a bit explaining that co-regulation establishes a shared focus of attention with our communication partner. Um, So talk to us a little bit about that, Linda, and and how you um, kind of explain co-regulation to parents. Yeah. So if I were just to explain it, the way that we talk about it in RDI is Alan Fogel's um, definition. He wrote developing through relationships. He's a psychologist researcher, but it just means that co-regulation means we are regulating to another person moment to moment. And so any exchange is unfolds naturally. Like there's probably some predictability based on um, the frame. Like right now we're having a conversation over Instagram live. There's some predictability because we've done this before, but there's a lot of novelty. Um, So we can't, we're not controlling what the other person is doing and we're letting it unfold and responding contingently moment to moment to what each of our communication partners bring to the table. Um, And then, so that's, you know, how I think about co-regulation and then, um, oh, and then you had asked about joint attention. Um, So one shift, I know I mentioned this last week, but one shift that I, you know, tried hard to make in this book because I did a lot of learning in 2020, (laughs) just hearing from autistic voices a lot more and really trying to listen to that and understand it and respect it and do better where I can do better. Um, I moved away from the term social learning challenges. I was just going to say differences. I noticed Um, that. And I was going to comment on that. Look at the title of the book, right? When you see the little (laughs) subtitle, it says kids with social learning challenges, but the blue book, Co-Regulation, mm-hmm. which was published later, um, says yeah. social learning differences. And I applaud you for uh, making that shift in language because it is so important. Yeah, and I'll make those changes when I go back for Declarative Language 2.0. 2.0, um, can't wait. I did not notice. I did not, I'm so uh, used to hearing social learning challenges. I did not even notice that. I read all these yeah. chapters. And didn't even notice that change. It's crazy. Oh, yep. funny. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. But essentially, like what I love about co-regulation is we can really have this mutual respect for different social learning styles. Like I attend to one thing, other people attend to something else. And we just want to recognize that we don't attend to the same thing at the same time. Not the same things are important to both of us at the same time. But if we want to form that shared memory 
or if we want to learn about something together, then we have to figure out how to meet in that joint attention place. Meet in the Um, middle, right? Meet Mm -hmm. in the middle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean, you know, sometimes the child goes where my attention is, but sometimes I need to go where, where they are. You know, that's what the relationship is all about. So it's not about who's right, who's wrong. We should do this. We should do that. It's more about practicing, establishing a joint focus of attention so that we know we're on the same page in the moment. I love Um, that. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so Carrie gave her favorite quote. My favorite in these first two chapters is you talk about co-regulation establishes a shared focus of attention with our communication partner. As a result, it helps us feel certain of our connection in the moment. So that, so that right there is huge. That's exactly what it is. It's, it's really, you know, a, a very simple way of describing it is where uh, you talk about languages to guide and co- what was it you said? Language is to guide, co-regulation is to lead. Is that what it was? Um, De- declarative, declarative language, language. speaking. Yeah. Speaking and, and, co-regulation, and co-regulation is, is guiding. Is way a way of being. Being, yeah. being. Yeah. being. Yeah. yes, yes, yeah, yeah. there you yeah. go. So it's on page it's, four, Mike. It's one of her yeah. like big old... It's in bold words yeah. in front of it me. It is. So, you know, I, oh yeah, sorry, yeah. Mike, go ahead, finish up. Yeah, and, and this is, and this way of being, you're, it's, it's using that relationship you have with a child to bring them into something that we know will help them grow that is challenging, that could be challenging for them or different for them or a new way of thinking or whatever it may be. And you give mm-hmm. some incredible examples in this chapter when you bring up some of the friends from the previous book. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, right. so good, yeah. so good. I just have to comment real quickly and we'll get off page four, but I love page four. Um, <laughs> near the bottom you say um, that it lays the foundation, co-regulation lays the foundation for all that follows. And these are the things, you guys, these are the benefits. <laughs> authentic social connections. How important yep. is that word authentic? Reciprocity, that's the give and take, the back and forth, the dance, if you will. Um, conversation <laughs> that is mutually meaningful. I mean, how often do we as therapists, as adults, we kind of talk down at the child and try Try to get them to, you know, talk about what we're interested in, you know, talk about this topic and the child is not interested. And then we say, oh, they're not paying attention or they have really poor joint attention or they're, they're being non-compliant in the moment. So there's no way that's a mutually meaningful conversation if we're kind of talking down at the child, trying to get them to listen to what we're saying all the time. But, and then you say, and ultimately an understanding of our community and world. I mean, I just love how you like wrap <laughs> this huge um, uh, kind of bow around it and say, look, it's important for everything um, for these for these kids. Um, and so, well, well, let's see, where do we want to move next? Um, and how about authentic social connections? That's such a mm-hmm. simple thing. But all you parents out there, you can ask yourselves, when's the last time your son or daughter, your child had an authentic social connection after school, mm-hmm. uh, you know, within that free unstructured time? That's, this is, that is such an important thing for youth development, child development, is to have authentic social connections. Uh, and and it's, it's sometimes it can be hard to come by, uh, you know, with, with pandemic included. Sure. Uh, but having authentic social connections is so important. Um. <laughs> yeah, well, and it might you be all that on Carrie. Yes. <laughs> and I, I think, um, yeah, with kids, I mean, this, you know, interactions can be so dynamic and when again like when people have different social learning styles it can it can 
happen quickly that you feel not competent when you're outside of your element. So authentic social connections across social learning styles can be hard to come by because that individual doesn't feel competent at that moment in time. Um, But what we're going to do is try and figure out bridges and help kids um, or just individuals of different social learning styles, as you said, Carrie, meet in the middle. So Mm -hmm. we feel competent in each other's, um, you know, areas that are important to them or, you know, that are competent. Like we, I think we go outside our comfort zone too. Yeah, as we, absolutely. As we practice com- uh, co-regulation. Well, well, and when I look at, at this first chapter about one of the real benefits of, of, of thinking about using co-regulation is at the very bottom of page five. I mean, I couldn't love this enough because we want everyone to use this, not just therapists, but parents, grandparents, teachers, babysitters, everybody. Why do we want them to understand co-regulation? So they can use it to strengthen their social connection with that child and create a, this is so powerful, positive learning environment. I mean, there is no way we can expect a child to learn if there is yelling and badgering and nitpicking and nagging going on. There's just no way. So how do we, as the adult, um, create a positive learning environment? And to me, it starts with declarative language, right? Reducing Mm -hmm. the number of test-like questions, constantly putting the child on the spot, giving command after command after command, sending the child into fight, flight, or freeze mode, which is then that's Pauses, yes, pa- yes. pausing, giving a wait time. Yeah, it's all huge, of those It's huge things. for regulation. Mm-hmm. It is. So you start with declarative language and you follow it up with this way of being, this co-regulation, this way of um, uh, meaningfully connecting with the child. And all of a sudden, we've created a positive learning environment. And what a phenomenal opportunity we have to help the child gain new skills, right? Move forward mm-hmm. in their development and their learning. So yeah. I just think that's fabulous. And I think, um, you know, with declarative language or with speaking style, rather, we might see that fight, flight, freeze when people are demanding in their language. But then we also see fight, flight, freeze when kids don't feel competent or feel mm. uncertain. Um, so that's kind of where it comes in with co-regulation. Um, you know, that's and- really interesting. Mm-hmm. I think about, so I work with really young kids and I think about kids who, um, don't have really strong pretend play skills. So I was in this preschool mm-hmm. classroom doing an observation and there was this one, um, child who they were playing. Most of the kids were either playing like restaurant and they had like a little toy grill and they had the pretend kitchen. And, you know, they were like, they, some of the kids were like at the restaurant eating. Some of them were chefs. And there was this one little boy who just was not engaging and he was sort of lost. You could see he was kind of wandering around. And then what he did is he started being silly. He got on top of the table and jumped off. He made like a silly squealing noise. And I started kind of observing this and I was like, okay, so what I'm thinking is he doesn't have a lot of, because pretend play comes from past experiences. So you only Mm -hmm. play restaurant if you've ever been to a sit down restaurant. You only play veterinarian if you've ever taken your dog to an actual veterinarian. You don't know how how to play these pretend things if you haven't had very experiences in your life. So I think some kids who come from, and I don't even know if disadvantaged 
background, but just a background where maybe there's an excessive amount of screen time, right? Or they're just, maybe there's a nanny. And so the parents don't take the child to the grocery mm-hmm. store, don't take them, you know, to restaurants. Who knows what the situation is? But when you have a young child who doesn't have a lot of varied experiences, I see them dysregulate, if you will, in that yep. environment where it doesn't yep. feel safe now. I don't feel competent. I have no idea what these kids are doing. I don't totally. know what that is. So what I'm going to do is take the focus off the fact that I have zero clue of what's going on and I'm going to be silly. And that's where I yep. think sometimes mm-hmm. this idea of the class clown or, you know, oh, he's yeah. just been really silly today at school is that maybe coming off as I don't feel competent. So totally. that's exactly how, yep. That's absolutely. a great, that's a great yeah. example. That, and, and you see the yep. same mm-hmm. thing in middle school and high school classrooms mm-hmm. during, I suppose you, know, you would, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah. During, mm-hmm. during quiet and independent work. You know, you may have oh. some, you may have some individuals who have a very positive home environment where they have a safe space to study. Maybe they have really good high-speed internet. Maybe, you know, they don't have a bunch of siblings running around. Mm -hmm. Maybe they Mm -hmm. they have parents they have a lot of co-regulation with whatever it may be, so that it's easier for them to get their work done mm. and be, be competent in the work. Mm-hmm. And then you, ha- you have an individual in a high school classroom, okay, everyone do this math worksheet, everyone's sitting there doing it, mm-hmm. and then you're sitting there, just like that boy watched everybody play restaurant, he didn't mm-hmm. get it, so he had to go into fight flight mode. Mm-hmm. You're, you're sitting there, everyone's sitting there competently doing their math worksheet, I don't know what to do because my house is a mess, I don't have the correct uh, internet speed. I don't have a safe space to do my homework. Whatever, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, I don't have the skills to do this not yet. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you see everyone doing that. You're going to go into fight flight mode, and you might start to be rude to the teacher. Uh-huh. You might, you might mm-hmm. get up and leave. You a might way to your, get kicked out. You might yeah. whip your mm-hmm. phone out. You know, mm-hmm. the, it, it's it, it's there are so many parallels between well, uh, elementary and yeah. high school. It's crazy. And think about it. If you don't know, let's say you have the skills to initiate, right? Like you actually mm-hmm. have a sharpened pencil and you have the skills to initiate the worksheet, but you have no idea how to do the math problem, right? You've never been doing, you've just been copying off somebody else's work. So you don't actually know how to do it. So of course you're not going to feel competent because I have no idea mm-hmm. how to do this. And I don't want to sound stupid and ask for help. So yep. I'm just going to refuse. I'm going to say, this is dumb. This is, I'm not doing this. Crumple up my worksheet, throw it. That's a guaranteed way to get kicked out. So now nobody's going to know that I don't, that I don't know how to do it. Right. Because that's a competence thing. So that's what it is. That's what it is. And that's, and that's where it all comes from. It comes from that place, that place of fear is I don't want people to know I'm incompetent. So here come the defense mechanisms. Right. So wouldn't it be interesting if we thought about teaching as uh, you know, or whether it's in therapy or in a classroom where we do so many problems together so that that, yeah. that, that student, or we play restaurant. Like yep. I always say in the, cause I work with the little ones is this is one of my favorite strategies is to take kids on virtual field trips. So we live in the digital age. There are some, I mean, technology is not in and of itself bad, but I love virtual field trips. So for example, if we were going to, let's say we read a book about a restaurant or about food or something. So we're like, Oh, I thought maybe we could play restaurant. And some of you can be the cooks, they're called chefs. And some of you can be, you know, the people who take their family and go to the restaurant and eat. And some of you need to be the servers, you know, they're called waiters, right? And so before we would sit down and play, I would get on YouTube and I would find some 
five, three to five minute video of people going, a family going to a sit down restaurant where they have to wait to be seated. There's a hostess, they hand them a menu where we watch that. And that's what I would call a virtual field trip. So then what we're doing is setting the child up for at least some degree of success because some kids have never eaten at a sit down restaurant. They've gone through the drive through at McDonald's and Wendy's and that's really all to them. That's what eating out means. So I think whether you're doing the math problems together, you know, uh, on uh, the first five problems together to get the, the, the student started or whether you're going on a virtual field trip, you know, in preschool. I think it's about us as adults using co-regulation to set the stage for a positive learning environment instead of putting them on the spot um, when we know some kids are set up to fail and then calling it bad behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, what, as we practice and we continue to talk about this and what it looks like in creating competent roles, really what it does is that it helps us as the adults take a step back and think about the multiple demands we might be placing on kids at any given moment in time. Yeah. So they might be doing math in, you know, in middle school, but there's math demands, there's fine motor demands, there's postural stability oh, demands, like yes. there's all these things that come into play. Um, but in the classroom, it might just be perceived as do the math. Oh, but yeah, he just so doesn't like layers. math. Yeah, he's just yeah. not good at math or he just doesn't like math. Mm -hmm. But you're right. Being able to hold yeah. yourself upright um, requires what, what I've heard an OT say once that sitting still is the highest form of movement. So oh, if you have yeah. any weakness in your core, um, you know, uh, sitting still at a desk is the hardest thing in the world for you. So if you're mm -hmm. constantly fidgeting, then you've got the teacher on you about fidgeting too much and not focusing and not paying attention and not sitting still. So yeah, you're right. There are, I love that idea of, of talking about multiple demands and making sure yeah. we don't just assume that it's the math or that it's the spelling or that it's the, you know, whatever that, that home Right. work or that activity is yeah and even for the young child it's it could be a novel toy that they just haven't learned how to interact with yet mm -hmm. they haven't seen it they want to explore it um but it's uncertain so they might feel cautious um so then that the adult says oh he doesn't like that new toy well is it really that he doesn't like it or is it that right. he's not confident with it yet he's not competent right. with it yet mm -hmm. and so he doesn't play with it so if we could sit down on the floor and just mm -hmm. play with it and model it for him without any demands placed on the child, we might find the child is extremely interested in it when he has some of that competence that no one's going to put demands on him and say, do this. And I don't know how to do it. Right. So, oh, right. Yeah. Beautiful. And I think like, we'll get all into this, but it's, if we start at the heart of a competent role and expand from there, it's just feels so much better all around versus assuming we need to do something in a certain way and coming in with our long prompts of, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's just too much on the child and they go into fight or flight. They feel incompetent. Right. It's a right. downward spiral instead of an upward spiral. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. And my favorite yeah. phrase, and I know I say it every week, and if you're a, a long time listener, you're probably sick of hearing me say this, but in general, I always try, especially with young children to focus on connection over instruction. Mm -hmm. Don't just sit down and go, I'm going to teach him his letters, or I'm going to teach him how to draw a line, or I'm going to, you know, instead of, of this mindset of, I have to instruct him on something, what, and I love, I think I'm going to just absolutely love this book because I love the first two chapters, but this idea <laughs> of co-regulation, this way of being is that I want to build that connection with you first. I want to create a positive mm -hmm. learning environment because when I do ask you to do something hard, I want want you to feel okay with attempting it, with possibly failing, with accepting, you know, my mm -hmm. scaffolding or my cues and my prompts and not feeling like you have to go in fight or flight mode um, yeah. when something is hard. 
and feel yeah and feel safe because trust that i've got you like i have a good sense of what you can do Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so then i'm gonna set you up for success yeah absolutely absolutely all right let's get to chapter two because i have so many notes in chapter two i know (laughs) you guys are like carrie shut up let mike talk let linda talk i have so i just mm. okay so chapter two what you need to do to get started right away i love when you introduce this book that you're like Sometimes you may want to jump around, you know, and read different chapters and not read the book in order, but definitely read chapter two. I like how you're like, everybody mm-hmm. must read chapter two. Yeah. Right. Um, and I completely see why, because it really kind of gives us um, the, the how to get started. Uh, so Linda, what do you want to talk to us about in the beginning here of, of chapter yeah. two? Yeah, so I can just break it down because I know people are probably just wanting to know like, okay, so what do we do anyway? What do we do? Yep. Um, so here's how I think about it. Um, anytime you engage a child in any routine um, that, you know, and it might be a new routine, it might be one where you're sensing they're, feel, they're feeling less confident, or it might just be you, you're wanting to teach them something new. In order to create that co-regulatory opportunity, you want to take a step back. You want to think about a competent role for them. And I'm sure we'll go through examples, but mm-hmm. that just means at this moment in time, what is something they could do on their own independently as long as I give them the time that they need, or maybe just a little bit of guidance. Mm-hmm. But so, so if you find yourself asking the child to do something and you are prompting like crazy, then that is not a competent role for them at that moment in time. Cause and, if they need that many cues, they're not, mm-hmm. they're not able to do it successfully. Yeah. Okay. And I'm going to, uh, I get, I'm going to give a recent example of a mom Good. who might even be here tonight, but um, a little girl who's almost three. And I know, um, she just gets, I think she gets nervous a little bit around new toys because she's not yet sure how to interact with them, not yet sure that she will be confident in it. So pop-up pirate, I'm sure that's a game uh-huh, that a lot of people uh-huh. recognize and know you put the swords in and out. And Carrie, I know, I know. I uh, freak out every time <laughs> that stupid pirate jumps. Uh, I know it's yeah. coming and I still startle. And Carrie, and I know you think <laughs> this way too about games, Mike, you probably do too, but you know, when you're engaging a child in a new game or a new routine, throw those instructions out because it yes. doesn't matter at the beginning. If you go by the rules and the directions at the beginning, a lot of people are not going to be competent. So you want to just kids. build. Kids are just yeah. going to give up on it. Yeah. Right. You just want to build from the ground up. So sure, like when we play Pop-Up Pirate, when we get to it and it's like full version, we're taking turns, we're putting swords in. Right. Um, there's all these pieces, there's, you know, it's, it seems like a simple turn taking game, but there's different complexity to it. Fine motor demands, yep. visual attention, you know what? Not, not being scared by the pirate. It's on a vertical <laughs> surface. And I'm just going to tell yeah. you for a lot of mm-hmm. our kids working on a vertical oh, surface, yeah. the shoulder stability that is required for mm-hmm. that. I mean, I'm not right. an OT, but I hear them talk about that. So that's why I think that sometimes pop up pirate, these kids will shy away from it because yeah. they are very mm. few kids work on a vertical surface anymore. I go back to, I think one of the biggest mistakes we ever made was taking the chalkboard, the blackboard out of the classroom because yeah. we knew it well, yeah. at least when Linda and I, I don't know how old you guys are, definitely not oh. Mike, but when I was a kid, I had to go up to the blackboard and actually do math problems. I had to yeah. go up oh, and yeah. write spelling uh-huh. words and yeah. any OT, occupational therapist will tell you that working on a vertical surface, whether it's an easel for painting and drawing, whether it's a blackboard, whether it's like using window markers and coloring on, you know, like your windows or your mirrors, that is also important for, for mm-hmm. handwriting. So anyways, wow. pop up yeah. pirate, that can be another And that's why they reason. have them do the letters in the air. 
right? Yep, in the air. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a great reason because yeah. anything that gets kids on a vertical surface is going to support. So I think about pop-up pirate and I could do a whole, gosh, I could just sit and analyze games and tell you all the benefits, developmental benefits, and not just speech mm -hmm. and language benefits. As an early right. intervention provider, I mean, I look at the whole child, not just the whole in the head, right? The whole child. Mm -hmm. And so pop-up pirate, sorry, I totally, so, no, but anyways, so, tell but us about pop-up pirate. Yeah, but the point being, it looks like a simple turn-taking game, but really there's a lot of demands there, especially mm -hmm. if it's a new toy. Um, so the little girl that I work with, like, she's very good at visually checking in on things around her room and she takes her time to get there as she feels comfortable. So she was checking out the toy, but not yet ready to approach it. She would, um, she loves a car ramp. So uh -huh. sometimes she'll go and check out other toys in the room while she plays at the car ramp. Cause that's her safe place, confident sure. role. Um, and so I ended up bringing the barrel over to her and I was thinking, you know what, putting the swords in, that's not yet a competent role. Like I know that it will right. be, but this is a brand new toy and that's the harder aspect of the game. Mm -hmm. So I put swords in the barrel and held it close to her. So all she had to do was take them out. Because and I know, yes. yeah, and I know yes. taking things out is a competent role for her. So absolutely, she needed to think about it a little bit, um, visually check in on it a little bit. But once she kind of felt ready, she went for it and she took one out. And then once she realized this is a competent role, she kept it going. And then we were able to kind of I, create a co-regulatory pattern. And I know that we will get to put in, but I'm going to just hang where right. she's competent and we'll get there when, when I sense that she can handle it and she'll be competent and not before. And how not, often You know, that, you just don't yeah. want to throw kids in the deep end because that doesn't feel good to anyone. Well, no, because then they fail and yeah. then they don't feel competent and then mm -hmm. they, they don't like the toy. They don't want to try. Think about a shape sorter. Here's another one. Yeah. So if the child can't get the shapes, you know, in the actual openings, take the lid off and just let them put in. And then, and that's, you know, so I right. call that kind of backwards chaining, um, you know, it's scaffolding, but it's, oh, if you can't do it like this, let's, let's make it now we can use this term, um, give you a competent role. I mean, how mm -hmm. amazing is that okay okay yeah. so we have three things linda on page nine oh, and okay so that was competent sorry yes that was competent <laughs> that was role. just so, number one okay yes number two authentic so just keep it real kids know when you're real kids know when you're not so whatever it is that you might be doing just keep it real because if it's a real role within what you're doing um it's meaningful kids feel empowered they gain that confidence, that competent confidence connection, mm -hmm. even like you said. So mm -hmm. no, no fake tasks that don't really matter in the big picture. Like just keep it, or, keep it real. That's all. Or how about this where you purposefully yeah. sabotage something and take it apart mm -hmm. just so you make the kid do it again. Like there's nothing mm -hmm. less authentic than let me sabotage in the moment and just to create yeah. another reason for you to do it. Like kids figure yeah. that they see right through that. One of the terms that I wrote on this, and I know I've probably talked about this a lot, so I apologize, but I know we have some new listeners um, symmetrical interactions is what I've always mm. talked about with authentic role that I try very hard. Um, this is how most adults interact with children. Okay. So I'm the adult and you're the child. So what I'm going to do is use this top down method of communicating with you. And so it's not symmetrical. It is, I'm the adult and I said so. So I want you to do X, Y, and Z because I said so, right? So that's an asymmetrical interaction. What I always coach parents to do is to try to shift that and make it a symmetrical interaction because that's where the reciprocity um, is going to come from. And so when you focus on connection,
instruction over instruction, instead of it being top down, all of a sudden now what we've got is this symmetrical interaction. And I promise you that will be more authentic. The child will recognize that you're not mm -hmm. here to um, tell me what to do or to make me um, do something I can't do and fail. It's more of this idea of we're in this together. So that's what yeah. I wrote next to authentic is that symmetrical interaction, which I think yeah. is so important. Um, the other thing I think about with authentic is if you have authenticity on your radar, then you realize there are so many learning opportunities throughout the day in the process of all that we do. So it's not about the game that we're going to play. It's about taking the game off the shelf, opening yep. the game together, oh, taking yes. it out. Or it's not about getting X, Y, and Z done so that I can be with my child. It's hey, is there any way I could create a competent role within this thing that I have to do anyway, um, you know, so that it's an authentic role for them and a learning opportunity. So it just helps you have your radar on for natural environment, learning opportunities mm. that happen constantly. Um, yeah, it. process over product, no matter yes. what you're doing, you know. And yeah. it's all about, it's all about having that reciprocity, that 50 50 mm -hmm. relationship. Mm -hmm. And, you yeah. know, just, just like with declarative language, when we're using it to put ourselves at their level, we're modeling how we work through problems. We're modeling how we visualize. We're modeling how we wonder just like they wonder. Uh, when we're doing co-regulation, we're showing them that they can do exactly as we do and we'll, and we'll do what they do. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's really forming that 50-50, and it's so empowering to kids. Uh, like our, our friend uh, Ryan Wexelblatt, the ADHD dude, had mm -hmm. a great post the other week about how many kids he ends up meeting for his camp that don't know how to make their own sandwiches. So he'll, he'll work that through them in terms of, you know, are their parents packing their lunch for them? Do they know how to make a sandwich? And that was such a great post because it really broke down how something as simple as that, being able to put together their own lunches and make their own sandwich, at first, it's a scary, non-preferred task, but once they build the competence, it really, really raises their confidence, their self-worth, and their relationships. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So then the third part is, is that okay if I... Yes, please. Yeah. Uh, yes, because I, so I have notes on this one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can, so this, you know, I might think of this as reciprocity, so it's contingent. So competent, the child can do it on their own with just a little bit of time, a little bit of help. Authentic, it's real, contingent. So therefore, whatever we might be doing, um, we want to create a partnership where their role is contingent on ours. So with, if I go back to the pop-up pirate example, um, the other thing about that is I was holding the barrel because I knew if it was on the floor, it It'd would be wobbly. And, and she, you know, it would have been harder for her to do all, all that fine motor work and, and do something new and taking the sword out. So mm -hmm. I was the barrel holder and she was the taker outer, or yep. I was the putter in her and she was the taker outer. But contingency just means we really and truly need each other in that moment. To in do time. It. And again, yeah. And again, like that has to be authentic. We have to mean it. It's if um, I'm not going to move forward in my routine unless or not unless until the child um assumes their role and if right. for whatever reason they're not like and we get into all we'll get into all this as we go but if for mm -hmm. whatever reason they're not assuming it then it's on me to take a step back and think oh maybe that role's not competent for them at that moment in time mm -hmm. what can i do differently to create that competent sure. role and go back to that well, and I love how when in this under number three, you give some actual examples. And I yep. so appreciate that we talk about, you know, what is a, is a role for an 11 month old 
is going to mm-hmm. look different than the role you would expect for a two-year-old, a five-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 17-year-old. So like one of the things as an early intervention provider is when a parent says, oh, I just feed him because it's faster. So no, he can't use utensils. It's just, it takes too long. He's messy. So like one of the things that I'll show them is if he's eating whatever, a, a chicken nugget, a green bean, whatever, is if I stab the little fork. So I'm the stabber, okay? And then I hand him there the fork go. and he can get the fork mm. to his mouth. So see, there now we have a role. And yep. so even with very young children, I just want mm-hmm. parents who are listening to, to not think, oh, well, this is just for when they're teenagers or this is just for when they're older. We're talking about creating competent, no. Linda's talking about, and we're now wait, following wait. her lead yeah. in um, <laughs> creating competent roles, even for mm-hmm. very young children, right? Yep. So um, uh, the way you would expect your two-year-old to self-feed is going to be much different than what you'd expect a yeah. 12-month-old to do. But we can yeah. create those roles. And that is the role of the adult is to mm-hmm. create a competent role so the child can have success. And that's, yeah. such a, that's such a great example because what's that kid eventually going to do? He's eventually going to grab that out of your hand, stab uh-huh. it himself, stab it and, feed, and feed yep. himself. But you're allowing him to do it at his own pace. Yep. We're not at, yep. we're not adding anxiety. Mm-hmm. We're not adding mm-hmm. frustration. Maybe he's not ready yet. You know, some right. of these, de- right. some of these developmental norms, especially for younger kids, are ridiculous. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. just al- allow him to just do it at his own pace. And and, and if he takes and, the fork, yeah. and just holds it and still picks up with his left hand a chicken nugget and puts it in his mouth. I mean, that's okay. What he's saying yeah. is, I'm not mm-hmm. ready for this role, but look, I have it. That's um, communication, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I have it in my hand. And yes, please, we're not going to do any hand-over-hand assistance. <laughs> There's no way children learn. Um, uh, and we don't even need to, yeah. Hand-over-hand assistance is not a good strategy, and it um, denies the child body autonomy, which is extremely important. So, yeah, we don't do any of this. I would never take the child's hand, stab the chicken nugget, force it in yeah. his mouth. Like, that is not creating a Yeah, that's role. that, right. And that's that prompting from the top down that's the again the opposite of we want to build it from the ground up exactly yeah i like that so instead of this top down asymmetrical interaction we want to create it together from the ground Mm -hmm. up and just keep raising the bar if you will and meeting the child where they're at each time yeah and i think um like the examples with the young kids it's easy to think about it because i also think that's where people use co-regulation or this mindset a lot naturally mm-hmm. like we mm-hmm. naturally create competent rules for kids who are little because you know that they're learning I think where it gets harder for us is or, or we lose track or don't mm-hmm. think about it is when kids are teenagers or older mm-hmm. you know you're just thinking like oh they're having a behavior they're not doing what I want them ah. to do but the adult is not necessarily thinking they don't have a competent role so I know so I just knowing a, you can do it. Yeah. Regardless a billion of age, examples. You can use this mindset. Yeah. But with Aaron, who's 17, so putting laundry away. So you'd think a 17 year old should be able to, I give him his, mm-hmm. his cl- thing of clean clothes and he should be able to fold it and put it away. It took me a while. I spent some time watching him fold clothes and I was like, well, no wonder he gets frustrated. There's a lot of fine motor skill in being able to like fold a shirt and you know, like I do it in the air. So when he was watching me, like I've folded enough clothes, he needed to lay it down, fold one arm over, fold the other arm over, fold. So it takes so many more steps that he kind of gets lost in it. So what we started mm-hmm. doing was having him just fold pants pants were easier than shirts you know and like pairing socks he still can't figure out how to like flip them you know how you and I like flip socks and make a ball but at least he matches them and he's learning but Mm -hmm. my son has always had some fine motor struggles so it's just interesting when I break it down and think about oh why does he struggle with folding laundry and it goes back to um you know the expectation
conversation of you should just be able to do it. Well, but are we thinking about all the tasks that are actually involved in that? So yeah, yeah. and even what you did is is awesome. You started with the folding item that would be most competent for him. Mm -hmm. Yep. You sense yep. pants are where it's at, not shirts. Not so shirts. Too many started. too many yeah. things to to screw right. up. Yeah. Because then when he would go shove them in his drawer if they weren't folded, you know what I mean? Then they don't fit. So then he's frustrated because mm -hmm. his drawers don't close. So it led to all these other issues where he just decided he didn't want to do laundry anymore. So it was it was important yeah. for me to kind of recognize, wait, what he's not being defiant. He's not refusing. Mm -hmm. He's not competent. I didn't yep. know that till just now, but that's now, you know, yeah. now I'm understanding that's where we were at. And so that's what I think um, is so important, especially when we're dealing with children who have challenging behaviors is mm -hmm. behavior yep. is communication. And so yep. instead of assuming that the child is doing bad just to irritate you, because honestly, that requires so much executive function to try to do mm -hmm. something and think about how it's going to make you feel in the future. I mean, that just that is an immense yeah. amount of executive functioning yep. to be able to do something to intentionally um, uh, make someone else upset. So instead of assuming that your child is being defiant, if there are parents on here, I think it's important to assume that they're not competent in that task. And so what we need to do is back the truck up and start thinking mm -hmm. about co-regulation. Yeah. Or like just to add one little thing, or they don't perceive themselves to be competent at that moment. Even if time. they might be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes I might hear that, like, oh, they can totally do that. They've done that 10 times. Okay. They're totally competent. And it's like, well, they might have done it in the past, but that doesn't mean they, they perceive themselves to be competent right this very second. You know, and who knows why? It could be, right. it could be the episodic memory is not right there. It could be there. You know, I, like I said before, they could be fatigued. They stressed. could be mm -hmm. stressed. Mm -hmm. They could be hungry. Like, we just mm -hmm. don't know. But we just yep. have to give, again, like, give them the benefit of the doubt. Something's going on. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily know what it is because we're not in their brain. Right. Um, but we're more likely to be successful if we back it up and find that competent role where they do feel comfortable in this moment. Us. In this exactly. moment. And that's what I love. Is, yeah. And I think Mike, you said this too. It's that idea of moment to moment. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not like, well, he did it in the past. He did it yesterday. So he should be able to do it today. We yeah. all, don't you feel like you vary? I mean, from morning to afternoon and from afternoon to evening and how you feel and how, you know, just in general, mm -hmm. how competent are you? What if I said right now, Mike, I need you to go write a, a, a five page evaluation report, you know, and you're like, I mean, it's nine o'clock at night. Like, I don't know if I feel very competent right now. It's not that you don't have the skill, but it just mm -hmm. might be in this moment, you don't feel competent in doing that. So right. love it, love it, love it. All right, Linda, what else do you want to, do you want to share any of those examples about the contingent role? Um, or yeah, let me think. Um, let's see. Well, oh yeah. So if we go through the different examples, um, so with the 11 year old, say uh -huh. a competent role might be pushing a shopping cart down the grocery aisle. Mm -hmm. Um, but the contingent role for the caregiver could be taking items off the shelf and putting them in. Okay. Um, like that could be one example or, I'm trying to remember which other ones. I mean, I can do some off the top of my head, but laundry, oh, yeah. well, you had think one about like, Aaron. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you had one like recycling. So the role one, a oh, child yeah. takes one side of the recycling bin while their caregiver takes the other side and together you mm -hmm. walk it to the curb. Instead that's, of expecting, that's amazing. Yeah, instead yeah. of expecting yeah. a child, like go carry that really heavy recycling bin that is bigger than you are. Go carry yep. that or pull it or push it to the curb because the kid is going to be like, I hate that chore. Why can't my brother, you know, all of a sudden yeah. he's going to go into that where you're like, why don't we do it together? I'll have a yep. role and you yep. have a role. Yeah. And, just, and, yeah. And, 
And them doing it with you, holding one side of it, is just as good as them doing it themselves. They're still doing it. They're still right. part Actively of that. Actively engaged. Time. If anything, really, them doing it with you is almost better. You know, this yeah. is this is it's a it's a family experience. It's yep. bringing love and it's bringing joy and it's fifty yep. fifty. Uh, and you know, it, it's it's a lot more fun to you know we all authentic, have to take, yeah, we all, authentic we all, social we, connection. We all take, yeah, there you go. We all take mm -hmm. the garbage out. Who wouldn't want to do yeah. it with someone else? Exactly, yeah. and that's what I love on page eleven, Linda. And this is where I have some some notes. But you say an important first step. So if you're a parent, okay, here we go. An imp important first step is to view daily routines or tasks. We can call them chores if you would like, but to, mm -hmm. to view those daily routines and routines could be like bath time, you know, meal preparation. So it's not always chores, mm -hmm. but, um, or tasks as opportunities for social engagement. And so this is where on the side of my book, I wrote routines based intervention as mm -hmm. a birth to three yeah. provider. This is something that we are mandated by yep. the law to do is we do not come in when we're working with infants and toddlers, um, and do direct therapy. I don't bring like a bag of therapy toys and sit down with a toddler and do therapy. Instead, what we do is we identify ways to embed skilled strategies into their already existing daily routines. So that's mm -hmm. why it's so important that we ask the family, you know, what, do, what do your mornings look like? What are some of the things you do, you know? So like my favorite example is, oh, well, what do you do in the afternoon? Oh, well, you know, usually while he's napping, I then go get the mail. And I say, oh, well, where do you go to get the mail? Oh, well, I have to walk um, out our front door and then down two houses because we have one of those big, like, you know, mail areas. Mm -hmm. And so I take a key and I, okay. So if you waited until your child woke up from nap or whatever, and if you did it together, and so it's this whole idea of what can we do? Well, now we can walk through uneven surfaces on the grass because that's a great way for a very young new walker to um, uh, uh, increase their stability is to be able to walk on uneven surfaces. So instead of walking on the, the driveway and the sidewalk, walk through the grass, right? Oh, when we get there, hand him the key and maybe you have to pick him up or maybe he stands on his tippy toes and just try to get the key in. Think yeah. about that visual motor mm -hmm. planning, yeah. right? And then we, you know, maybe the parent or whatever adult opens it and we let the child pull the mail out and then we close the box and then we count how many pieces of mail we have and then we carry. So now we've got something in our hands and we're going to carry it back. And then when we get inside, we separate junk mail from important mail and then the so child gets a pile of junk mail, junk mail, right? Aww. And so then we can give them and they can work on tearing and opening because it's junk mail, right? Give them scissors, mm -hmm. little child scissors, and they can cut, um, um, uh, little junk mail flyers, which are sturdier than, you know, regular paper. And so we, all of a sudden now we've turned what is a mundane everyday task of getting the mail um, into something that is what we call routines-based intervention, where we are building skills from what already exists. Instead of saying, hey, I need you to come in and, 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 and teach my child to talk or teach him, you know, to have better balance so he doesn't fall so much. Whatever PTOT speech, you know, is getting asked to do in early intervention. So when I read this, I was like, holy cow, that's routines-based mm -hmm. intervention, totally. um, which is, is just super powerful. So Th I just that, that right that. there, that mm -hmm. right there is one of the best examples you have ever given. That was, that oh, was, that was, that was, that was, that was, that was amazing. Cause that, think about that. Think about that whole parent coaching routine based intervention and what that's doing for that family long-term yep. as compared to you doing pretend play for a kid with an hour with, yep. with a bunch of toys that you brought in that you're going to take with you when you leave. And, Absolutely. And, 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 and that really playful, great person that you build a relationship 
is with you for a half playing with the kid for a half hour a week or an hour a week is, or whatever. And this is what be. an early intervention provider does. Like this is a yeah. handout I made dressing and undressing bath time, grocery yeah. shopping and meal time were the four that I created. But this is what we do is we take naturally occurring routines yep. that are already there. And then we talk about how to build skills. And so now what I can mm-hmm. add to that, it add to this conversation that I'm already having with families is the idea of creating competent roles. Never yep. use that term yep. until today. Creating yep. competent <laughs> roles for their child, regardless of their age, regardless of their developmental level. It doesn't matter. We create yep. that competent role. And it, Linda, yeah, I mean, all that matters is that you know your kid. You yes. know, like you can see yeah, an yeah. opportunity yeah. and you think, is that something they could probably do? Then mm-hmm and I usually do it, then transfer that to the child. That's right. So do you usually open the mailbox, but that's something the child could probably mm-hmm. do? Then let mm-hmm. them be the opener. Create um, purpose. I, I'm telling yeah. you, purpose, I think that yeah. some kids, especially, yeah. I'm, I'm doing more consulting in classrooms. And so when I go into these special education classrooms and I see these kids with challenging behavior, I keep asking the teachers, what's his purpose? Why is he here? Because I see a child who doesn't seem to have a purpose. I mean, he's just, you know, I, I sometimes think that we do so much much for kids. We create an environment that is so contrived that kids don't have that ability to do for themselves. So Mm -hmm. purpose, we all do better when we have purpose in life, right? I mean, it's just important. So yeah. And just like with declarative language, where we're slowing down, creating space, co-regulation, same thing, slow down, create space. Instead of you doing something that you normally do, Mm -hmm. just think, is this, could this be a competent role? Can I create that space for the child to do it? As you know, and just give them the time to do it. Like you can't Absolutely. be in a rush. You just have to give them and that we, space. And we talk about mm-hmm. competence of the child. And we're thinking about that, you know, us as clinicians, we think about, you know, our training versus what the parents knows and their competence to create these routine based interventions and these meaningful experiences for their child, you know, coaching them to simply bring their child with them to the mailbox is so incredibly powerful. And that right, that's speech therapy, that's speech and language it therapy is. at it its is. at its core. And that's yeah. huge because that's speech and language, that's relationship. You're you're helping that 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 parent develop co-regulation with their child. Mm-hmm. That's executive functioning and a new varied experience. Mm-hmm. That's there. You're, there's going to be new vo- new vocabulary there. Everything yep. that's enriching, mm-hmm. and it costs lives. no money, nope, no it's money. Right there. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if anything, right. it might take you a couple more minutes because we are pausing because we are giving children that that Beautiful. space, like mm-hmm. Linda calls Beautiful. it. So yes, might it take a little more time? And Linda, you do bring that up somewhere in this chapter, just like you did in the declarative language handbook, that you don't start practicing this if you're in a hurry. If you're trying to get out mm-hmm. the front door, you're going to be late for church, or you know whatever it is you're doing, that's not a time you want to intentionally pick a time where there aren't time constraints, so that you can. Mm-hmm. And offer that space and that time for extra processing. Yeah. As soon as we speed up and place those demands and that pressure, it's not competent anymore. No, it's going to fall apart. Yeah. That, that interaction mm-hmm. becomes asymmetrical once again, instead of like this. Yeah. On page 11, Linda, you talk about, and I think this is so important too, it's important to think of co-regulation in terms of actions. So what do you mean by that, that mm-hmm. we should think of it in terms of actions? Yeah. So initially it really is just coordinating actions. That's where it all starts. Uh, you know, the game of peekaboo, it's coordinating actions. I, you know, I put something yeah. over my head and the child pulls it off or mm-hmm. we're looking at a book together and maybe the child turns the pages. Um, yeah. Or even I put the bottle on the tray and the child brings it up to their mouth. But 
co-regulation at the beginning is just about coordinating our actions together. So okay. we support the language learning through declarative language, no pressure, just commenting uh -huh. at the language level of the child. But then you're giving them opportunities to coordinate actions with you. Uh -huh. um, so in the mailbox, the child pulls it down, uh, you know, the lid, you take out the mail uh -huh. or you take out an envelope one at a time and hand it to the child. You're the taker outer, yep. they're the holder. They're the holder. But the yep. goal is you're in the moment, you're coordinating your actions um, and gaining that joint attention in that way. You're thinking about the same thing at the same time as you coordinate actions together. So parents, what I yeah. would encourage you to do is add ER to the end of something. So what mm -hmm. are you? You're the... <laughs> the 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 hander you know or the mm -hmm. hander I don't know you know and your child is the taker or whatever it is right like you said yeah. you're the opener and the child is the holder so I think it, it's like a really cool challenge to think about okay when we unload the dishwasher okay what you know how what's my role right mm -hmm. um and what's the child's role and and really thinking about you know um from I think about back when my kids were little their favorite thing was to help me with laundry and so I would hand them wet clothes one or two at a time and they would put the wet clothes in the dryer and then they loved when the dryer was done because they pulled all the clothes and put mm -hmm. them in the in the basket and then they were the basket pusher so even long yeah. before I ever read I mean gosh my kids are grown um but I think about how I was unknowingly creating competent roles just because mm -hmm. that just seems natural to me but I think that there are going to be parents who are, are going to benefit from some explicit training you know on yeah. on using this this co-regulation very yeah. cool yeah very cool Role, like naming roles is huge it's so helpful Naming um, roles. Ooh, I like that. Mm -hmm. So name yeah. your role. Next time you are um, uh, trying to practice this, parents, name your role and name your child's role. Because right. you have to be able to do that to make sure you're creating a competent role for, for your child. Yeah. Love it. And, Love and, it and, even, and, and, and when you have these, these meaningful experiences throughout the day, it sets you up for, you know, the end of the day to do sort of like a review and to sit with your child and go through, you know, uh, what do you remember about going to the mailbox? What were some mm -hmm. things that you saw? What did you like about mm -hmm. it? How did you feel? <laughs> what role did you have? Did you or like how about this? that role? When daddy comes home from work or mommy comes home from work yeah. and the other parent says, what did we do today? Because how yeah. often do we prompt kids? What did we do today? Mm -hmm. And the child finally has something. To, we went and got the mail and we emptied the, the dishwasher. We took the trash out. I mean, all of a sudden there are like things that we actually did because we yeah. did it together. So we created those memories together totally. instead of, yeah. yeah. And then and you model it with your declarative language. So, declarative. so there's no language demand on the child. You, you know, instead of saying, what did you do? Oh, sure. You as yes. the caregiver yes. might say, Say, here's what I remember. I remember you loved opening the mailbox. And it was really fun for you to be in charge of the junk mail. You're I'll the junk mail it. person. Or I remember it was raining. Um, we had to use an umbrella yeah. when we got yeah. the mail today. Oh, yeah. so And then you're using good. that word, remember, that good cognitive verb mm -hmm. to help store those memories um, for later. So good. All good stuff. So good. Yeah. And, you, so and, and good. you can even use the mm -hmm. name of the title that you gave. Like you can come in and say, Oh, you were the. Uh, I, I, I'm wondering what the mail getter did today. <laughs> I'm wondering. I'm, I'm wondering what the taker did. Those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. for the for the younger kids, there's so many ways to just small tweak that language, yeah. and you and you start to build this episodic memory, and you start to really Super build and cool. build engagement. And you're gonna and after a certain amount of this. This kid's going to want to constantly do new things, want to be around you, want because to be they're want to, They're competent yeah. and, 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 and they feel things. safe. Yeah. And oh. they know, they know yeah. that when they're with you, 
there's no chance of failure. Because what did we create? Mm -hmm. We created a safe learning environment. And if we can all, just whether we're therapists, teachers, parents, if we can make that our focus, what am I going to do today? I'm going to wake up and I'm going to create safe learning environments for my child instead of creating an environment where the child goes into fight, flight, or freeze mode. Yeah. Okay, we need to wrap up. And and what did we learn from our first three books? There is no co-regulation in schools. Yeah, that's one of the problems, definitely. <laughs> most definitely, most definitely. So Linda yeah. gives some great examples um, about two of her previous clients uh, mm-hmm. from the Declarative Language Handbook. So on page 12, 13, and 14, I, I would really encourage you to look at some of those examples. But I think what we need to end with, Linda, is on page 15, you give two more oh, things yeah. to keep in mind. Oh, and I think right. we just need to end with these. The first yes. one is... Enter with a guiding, invitational mindset using declarative language. And what I highlighted mm-hmm. is you said, it is critical that the child is not directed or prompted to, and I love you put it in quotes, do co-regulation, <laughs> but rather that they are invited to join in a shared process. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Do you want to add anything to that, Linda? Nope. I think you've got it. Yeah. It's just, that, it yeah. has to be an invitation. It can't yep. be prompted. Um, Yeah, create that safe space for kids to join. And I know know some parents that Mm -hmm. would actually say that. Like, hey, let's go do some co-regulation. Like, 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 like I I, I can't tell you how many parents I work with that are like, hey, can you use your executive functioning today? Can you can you be a little oh, bit can you be a little right. bit more mentally and like some of the flexible, coaches, you know, like like those like like talking to like a mm-hmm. like a seventh eighth grader like that those words are they're, they're either going they're either going in one ear out the other yeah. or you're making him more frustrated. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and maybe um what I will just add, Carrie, is like in terms of de- uh, declarative language. So the invitational state statements might be something like, hey, let's get the mail together. Or I remember you really loved getting the mail yesterday. I would mm-hmm. love to do it with you again today. Um, so just it's an those, invitation. Mm-hmm. It's an invitation. Those um, those second, those first person plural pronouns, let's, we, and we us, yeah, us, so that it's a partnership. Um, partnership. So, that. I mean, just that whole concept of like partnering with your child instead mm-hmm. of the old mindset of because I said so. Do it because right. I said so. This yep. just creates a totally, it's a shift, is it it's not? It's a shift, totally. Yeah, <sighs> it's partnership over prompting. It's not you do Ooh, this. It's like, did you hear let's do this said? together. Partnership. <laughs> oh, I'm writing all your words down. Partnership <laughs> over prompting. Yeah. Those are like very wise words. Okay, the second thing that you end this chapter with is with any of these co-regulatory opportunities, the task or activity that you are doing is secondary. I love this and merely a backdrop for creating a positive engagement and connection the so these are your your most powerful words it's process over product it's Mm -hmm. not that we're doing laundry it's all the things that happen the dance right that while Mm -hmm. we're doing laundry and somewhere in this chapter and we skipped over it you said it's not a recipe it's a dance page nine um co-regulation is not a recipe but a dance. Um, and I just think that's so important that it is this reciprocity is this back and forth, ebb and flow, give and take, whatever analogy works best for you guys. Mm-hmm. Is it so important to recognize it's not the task itself that matters. Could you go get the mail by yourself? Absolutely. Nobody's questioning your ability to get the mail. It's, can we use this to create a safe learning environment for your child in that mm-hmm. moment through co-regulatory opportunities? Yeah. Yep. And moments are everywhere. Again, it's not the oh, task. It's just have your radar on for moments. Like and moments. Another one, 
like I won't go on and on, but even like you have to change the batteries in the remote control. That's a moment to create competent roles and partnership. Like they're Huge. everywhere. Everything, everything. Huge. Um, Huge. So process over product, have your radar on for competent roles. It's not about the task. It's about the connection um, and Can the partnership. Can you just please make a post with all your one-liners? <laughs> like I'm serious, like your one-liners, I've written like 10 of them down. I'm like, these are genius. So I love, I'm the fan. I'm the queen of one-liners because they're easy for people mm -hmm. to remember. So in the yeah. moment when you're stuck, if you have a one-liner, it's easy right. to go yeah. back and kind of coach totally. yourself through it as the adult. So yeah. um, partnership over prompting is insane. Oh, that's that's I, that's a big oh. one. That's a big one. Yeah, it's so just that's, that's that it. mindset. That's, that's, a, that's the that name mindset. of the game. That, that should mm -hmm. be something that every parent is coached on. Partnership yeah. over prompting. That's going to be what, the new nickname yeah. for this book. Partnership <laughs> yeah. over prompting is what yeah. we're now dubbing. I'm going to put a sticky note over this next week, and it's going to be called Partnership so over excited, Prompting. So excited yeah. for this book. I, like, like I said, I'm reading this for the first time. I've had it for a while, but now finally reading it. Uh, and this is this speaks to everything I do with with my executive mm -hmm. functioning therapy. Everything is about relationships and experiences. If there is no relationship which lays the foundation of all therapy, no matter what you're doing, mm -hmm. then nothing gets done. And doing these things together, you know, I've been doing co-regulation with a lot of my community outings and a lot of the things I'm doing with my students without even realize, realizing yeah. what I'm doing. But, but this book really puts it in such simple language uh, and, and breaks it down into every single step. Well, you know what it's helping us to do, Mike, is to be intentional. Yeah. And that's something that yeah. I really mm -hmm. coach parents on is being intentional. So, oh, all you do is just play. Oh, no, no, no. We play with a purpose. Oh, all you're mm -hmm. doing is just doing, you know, or parenting. Well, we parent with a purpose. Like, to me, that's what this is about is being intentional and creating teachable moments in yeah. the day instead of saying oh i have to pay to send my child to some class you know where they can learn a skill your kids can learn a whole lot of stuff just by interacting uh, with their family at home so mm -hmm. linda your yep. blessing what an amazing thing so make sure y'all have read declarative language we are on to book two co-regulation handbook next week oh i got to tell you the news we are not going to do next week guys okay linda and i are both unavailable on february 7th and so we're just gonna um take next week off because we can't find a way to make that work is that okay mike I'm just no throwing problem. that on you right no now. Problem. So <laughs> yeah, um, I have the most insane week. I'm traveling 15 days in February. And so I just cannot find a way to make next week work. So we will be back. Anybody know the date? I don't have it. Oh, look, I got, look at this really cool mouse pad I got so that I'd always have a calendar right here on me. So the problem is you have to have eyes that work to see it. So not February 7th, February 14th. We will be back and we will be doing chapters three and four. Does that sound good, Mike? Sure does. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Let's do it. Linda, will you be able to join awesome. us on the 14th? Yes. Can't Excellent. wait. Excellent. Excellent. All right, everybody, we won't see you next week, but uh, the three of us will be back on February. That's Valentine's Day. Mm. Is that going to work? Mike, oh. you probably have to take your wife out. Mm. We may have to rethink this. Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we, we, can, we won't have any visitors. Uh -oh. I mean, we won't have any followers. So we're we going to get back to you. Forget the 14th. Mm -hmm. We will look at another day that week, and we will do a post about it, okay? Because I just don't know. Let me know what Sunday yeah. night looks like for you guys. There's no Sunday night football now. Oh, that's, that's the Super Bowl. I'm not no, watching no, the Super no, Bowl. No, no, no. It's oh. not the Super Bowl. Is it? <laughs> yeah, it is. No, hold on. Is no, it? the 13th the is 13th. the Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. So, it, But yeah, we can't do it during the Super Bowl. That's the Super Bowl. Even though I will not be watching, um, mm -hmm. um, we can't do it then. So anyways, we'll yeah, figure we'll out. Figure yeah. So hold tight, and um, we will see you guys soon. Uh, as always, what a Thank wonderful you. hour. All right, yeah. take care, guys. Bye-bye. See you soon.